Hello, church. <clears throat> We're going to get all situated up here and in our places. Hey, my name's Wade. Um, I'm the other. When she said she's one of the pastors, I'm the other one here. And uh, if we haven't met each other, it's good to be with you today. Um, Pastor Kim and I have never had the chance to team teach. And uh, you know that's something we like to do here once in a while at Trinity. And uh, we've been looking for an opportunity to do that. And today presented that opportunity. And uh, it's been fun. Um, working uh, together. You know, when you have two the theology nerds like we are, and you get to lock up in a room and work on stuff, it's, uh, it's, a, it's, a, great, it's a great time. Um, and, and we're doing that because we're starting a new series today. This is something I've actually been wanting to do for years um, here at Trinity. It's called Hearts on Fire. Um, you know, you heard Pastor Kim say she has a hard time you know, saying that once in a while. In the traditional service last week when she was telling about the series, she, she got a little tongue-tied. I called it catching fire. Catch on fire, <laughs> yeah. So well, however that works for you, that's, we're going we're gonna to go, go with that. Um, what is the idea of this? We're going to explore what, uh, who we uniquely are as United Methodist Christians. Um, and, and I hope that this series also invites us to a little bit about fanning flames today and fire in our music. I hope it's also an opportunity to fan the, 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 the flame of faith that's down in each, uh, each one of our hearts. You know, Pastor Kim, one of the frequent conversations that I have had in all my years of ministry uh, with folks is when people say, why do we have all these denominations, right? You know, it's always one of those. And I would say that almost in almost every case... The person that has asked me that question is coming at me from a place of, you know, wanting to demonstrate their Christian piety. And um, it often comes out like this. Well, I'm not a Methodist. I'm not a Presbyterian. I'm not a Lutheran. You know, fill in, fill in the blank there. I'm a Christian, right? Why do we have to have all these labels if we could all just get along and be one and we'd be better off? And man, I totally get, I totally get that sentiment. Um, but, um, you know, I have reflected on that for, for a long, a long time, a lot of years, and I've, I've chosen to think about that in a more theological kind of, of way. And, and I have to believe that if we have all of these different expressions and traditions of faith, maybe, just maybe, God had a hand in doing that. And there is a purpose behind these different um, expressions. And so one of the ways I have come to think about it over the, over the years is kind of in the same vein of what Paul, um, we've gone to Paul's teaching so many times around um, the body of Christ. And you know, how he, you know how he talks about the body of Christ and, you know, an ear and an eye and a hand and a foot. If, if, I, was, if I was not a foot, um, would I be any less important than a hand? And, you, you know, that kind of thing, the ear and the eye. Um, but at the, at the really conclusion of, of that, when he teaches out of that body um, kind of image, he, he leaves us with the understanding that every part, every component has something unique to offer and is essential to the benefit of, of the whole, whole family. And, and I come to believe that maybe denominations having different personalities and different makeups, different experiences of God is maybe like that. And so if, if we have an understanding of maybe what our tradition is, what, what drives us, then, then what we bring to the party 
um, gives us a fuller picture of God. If, if I don't ever pay attention to how Presbyterian folks or Lutheran folks or Catholic folks have experienced God, I, I'm not going to get a full picture of God because I can't have all uh, a lock on all those experiences. So um, that leaves us with a question. And what, about, what about we United Methodists? What about us? What do we uniquely bring to the Christian family? Could God be really counting on us to bring some expression? right, to the fullness of the family. So that's what really prompted, prompted the series that, that we're in. So why are we doing this series? What's the purpose? Well, one is that very reason. What, what is it that, that we uniquely offer the Christian family? But secondly, Trinity, I'm going to look at you, and I'm looking at myself, all of us. Um, Trinity, I'm not sure that we're really at a place where our hearts are on fire as much as they could be. Are you with me? Is that okay to say? That, uh, that, that maybe we could kindle... Some flame, fire, you know, fan that flame of faith in our hearts and as, as people, as individuals, as a community of, of faith. And um, I just wonder um, what that would be like. And I hope the series has an opportunity for us to actually have these deep spiritual connections during, during this journey that really impact, uh, impact our lives. So to start, oh boy, should we really do it? I think so. Okay. We brought a video. Y'all, it is so corny. It's made by United Methodists. One of our things is we are pretty corny sometimes, right? Like me with my bobblehead John Wesley doll up here. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Chris, for bringing John in. So the spirit of John Wesley's with us. Um, so in this video, the artists—it's an animation. The artists have tried to imagine the founders, you know, John Wesley and Charles, his brother Charles Wesley, um, the founders of the Methodist movement. What it would be like if they are around in a in a in a modern time. Go ahead and run that video. Hey, brother, what are you up to? Taking it to the streets or screens, submitting to be more vile. These days, it's viral. Ah. Trying to pick an Instagram name because you know the World Wide Web is my parish. Oh, that's easy. Bible Moth. You mean the nickname people used to call us at college because they thought we studied scripture too much? Yeah, that's right. Or Sacramentarians because we like to take communion frequently. Like that's a bad thing. Those early days of the movement were great. I love seeing the folks from the Holy Club on our Facebook page and to see how far they spread the word past Oxford in England. To think. We started so many years ago, and our method of fasting and spiritual practices that gave us the name Methodists is still part of our identity. Going with Bible moths. Now for a good avatar. Hmm. Hey, brother, let's see how smart this phone is. I was plucked from the burning, and here's my burning question. Susanna, tell me about the United Methodist Church today. I've got one. Mariah, what Methodist made history in music? Charles Wesley wrote more than 6,000 hymns. Among them, hark the herald angels sing and Christ the Lord is risen today. Ariana, could you sing a bit of it? Christ the Lord is risen today, hallelujah. We need to get our saddlebags in gear. I wish we could find a Twitter handle related to our roots. Remember that movie that showed how circuit riders helped spread the church across the United States? Mariana, play Clay Ride. Here's a clip from Clay Ride. Now we have our fussing and <laughs> <laughs> Ah, yes. 
I like to think about how we fight, but we come together because we want the same things. How we work to end slavery and support workers. How we included women and stood for social justice and cared for creation. Responded to disasters and worked for reconciliation when we hurt people of color. We went from being a holy club in England to being a global movement. And you can see some of our social holiness on social media. And whether we carry a phone or a flood bucket or a holy Bible, we can still be the hands and feet of Christ. And be part of a network that's stronger than any digital platform. True, brother. And we didn't even talk about all the potluck recipes we could put on Pinterest. Maybe later, Charles. Yeah, potluck recipes on Pinterest. I'm all, I'm all about that. Um, that was just kind of a fun way to give kind of a reminder and introduction to us to who really John and Charles Wesley are, the two fellows who really are, um, uh, were the ones who started the, the Methodist movement. And there's a couple of things to always keep in mind as we begin this journey about maybe kind of why, how they're wired. And one of those is, um, is an experience that John Wesley had in his life. He described it as a moment where his heart was strangely warmed. What he was trying to describe or define was that he had had an experience, a, a personal experience of the Holy Spirit, and it did something to him. He, he felt his heart was strangely warmed in that. And it was such a life-defining moment for him that, um, that he, he had the sense that he wanted others to have the opportunity to have that kind of experience too, and that it would really be a game changer because it was a game changer in his life um, uh, to, to do that. And, and here's, here's a really interesting thing. Um, when he had that, that experience with the Holy Spirit that changed his life, it wasn't after that that he became a priest in the Church of England. He already was a priest in the Church of England. And it really changed the trajectory of his ministry. And, um, and his intention was to like do this thing like a small group's ministry in the Church of England. He had no intention of it ever becoming a, a separate movement, nonetheless even a denomination. And these guys were meticulous. They had complex method methodologies for spiritual development. We're going to talk about some of those in, in the series. And um, you know that's why they call us Methodists. <laughs> and we still kind of have that habit sometimes, don't we? Uh, you know, John Wesley, when he died, he was a priest in the Church of England. He was not a Methodist, never became a Methodist. Um, that wasn't what he was about. But the Church of England's resistance to this movement um, ultimately is what, what gave birth to, um, to, the, to the Methodists that we, we are today. <clears throat> so, um, Pastor Kim, how did we get to the title, Hearts on Fire? Well, you know, Wade, they call us Methodists because we like to be methodical. I, but we need to be careful to remember that that doesn't mean that we're passionless about That's our right. faith. In fact, John Wesley, he hoped that our faith would be the opposite of that because he wanted people to live in a way where their hearts were on fire for Christ. He, he once said, light yourself on fire with passion and people will come from miles to watch you burn. <laughs> It's a little bit of a disturbing <laughs> quote, give, give but you it. get the point. Give it to us one more time, will you? Give us that quote one more time, will you? Light yourself on fire with passion, and people will come from miles to watch you burn. <laughs> Thus the title of our sermon series, Hearts, Hearts on, on fire. fire, because we want people to see us burning, um, not literally. <laughs> I've had that happen too. <laughs> 
Well, in this series, we are going to talk about our faith and how it might be ignited so that we can better live into the mission of Jesus Christ, to go and make more disciples. And for John Wesley, that process of spiritual growth, it was grounded in scripture. And like everybody else, um, John Wesley had his favorite passages of the Bible. And the passages, they really shaped his thinking. And they're at the heart of what we call Methodism. Mm -hmm. He once said that the entire gospel could be summed up in the passage from 1 John chapter 4. And verse 19 was the, the verse that caught his attention. That verse states, we love because God first loved us. We love because God first loved us. And life, it's about growing in a more perfect love. That's what we're here to do, and that's what this sermon series is all about, how to help us grow in a more perfect love. Now, Wade, I, I know that as we were putting this sermon series together, we decided that we wanted to talk about what made us unique mm -hmm. as Methodists. Mm -hmm. And it was funny because you and I immediately went to the exact same place. Yep. Yep. We've got to talk about grace. grace. It is a tenet for which United Methodists are known. It's kind of our thing. Mm -hmm. And while we're going to have Sundays where we talk about things like small groups and the importance of them, we're going to have a Sunday where we talk about learning about our faith uh, through music. Mm -hmm. The theme of grace, it's going to run throughout this sermon series. And hopefully, I, I hope it runs throughout every sermon series yeah, we do. absolutely. Um, but, you know, we, we talk about grace a lot. We sing about how amazing it yeah. is, how sweet it is. Scripture tells us that all that we need is grace, that that's enough. Um, and we know grace is important. But I think we're often not exactly sure what grace yeah, is. What is it anyway? Um, so, so what is grace? In the United Methodist Church, we see it in two different ways. First, grace is a quality of God's character. It's who God is. Mm -hmm. And the Greek word often used for grace is called cherish, cherish. And again, I don't know if I'm saying that right or wrong. Well, you know what I always say, I, right? Just say it with authority and everybody will think they've been mispronouncing it their whole lives. Okay, so the word is cherish. <laughs> and if you drop the letter S from that and you add a few letters, you'll notice that we get the word charity. And what is charity? It's when we see or encounter someone, um, we see them in need, and we help them in some way. We show them some kindness. We demonstrate love. And we do that with no expectation of being paid in return. And so when we speak of God's grace, uh, of God being gracious, we're talking about God showing kindness and love even when we don't deserve it, and even when we don't ask for it, even when we don't even know that we need it. That's right. yeah. um, it is a gift from God. 
that's given to us out of love. And when we baptize babies, you often, well, actually, when we baptize everyone, you'll often hear us talk about this grace, this gift of love that is given to all of us freely. And we did that just this morning. We did it this morning, yes. Little Ella. And so this is the first way that we see grace. It's a quality of God's character. Now, the second way we see it is that it's a power or an active influence in our lives. It is God working in us and through us, through the Holy Spirit, to transform our lives. Now, Grace, it it was something that was really important to our friend John Wesley. You see, when he lived, there was this common belief which meant uh, where people thought that salvation was only meant for a select few, Mm -hmm. the people that were called elect. They were people chosen by God before birth, um, and the thought was they were the only ones that were saved. And Wesley came to become strongly opposed to to this idea because his study of the scriptures led him to the conclusion that God's grace was for all. He said, no, grace is for everyone, All people have access to God's grace. And so he started to develop this new way of looking at grace and how it saves. And that really, truly is at the heart of who we are as United Methodists. Mm -hmm. Now, Wade, I know that you have a really helpful way of looking at this. Would you mind sharing that that with everyone? Sure. It's an image, really, that, um, that, that I learned that comes from... John Wesley, I mean, he's the one that started using it first. Before I go to the image, I want to kind of frame a little bit about, I want to say a little bit more about about grace. When we talk about grace in the United Methodist Church, we will often use three different kinds of words associated with the word grace. And it often leads us to believe that there are three different graces of God that we have to experience. I just want to make sure that we understand there is one grace of God. God's grace is God's grace is God's grace. What John and Charles Wesley contributed to the conversations were, um, were ways to think about that one grace in three different ways that we actually experience it. So we can see how grace works in our lives, and we can see how grace brings us along in the journey of faith. Quite frankly, when I discovered this, it was an absolute changer in my own spiritual life probably because I'm one of those left brain guys and you know it made a whole lot of sense to me and it really helped me out so in these three ways that 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 we talk about how we experience grace um, the first one that we talk about is that God's grace check this out God's grace is active in our lives way before we're even aware of it God is present and working in our lives before we have any concept of God at all in our lives. It's this understanding that God's grace is surrounding us and is with us, and the intention is that God is trying to get our attention, right? That God is is wooing us toward God's own self. I mean, isn't it awesome? I mean, when you think about God's grace, that God's grace is so huge that it is active in our lives way before we even have an understanding, an understanding of God. Now, there's a, there's a name for this way we experience grace, and the, the Wesleys called it prevenient grace, prevenient grace. Some actually call it preventative grace. I kind of like 
prevenient. And, and just as a heads up, next Sunday, the whole worship service and our messages and everything is all going to be focused on preven uh, prevenient grace. So that's where we'll be next week, and then the, the other weeks will come, will come after that. This is one of the reasons why, when we frequently get asked uh, by somebody why we baptize children or infants when they have no idea what, what we're doing, many of those will come from a tradition where it's believer's baptism. You make a profession of faith and you're baptized. And it's often we will say, well, it's because of God's prevenient grace that is already active in that child's life that we're trying to awaken. And then we as a church will come around them and help them live into and understand that grace that's in their lives. And I have a hunch, if you think about your own spiritual journey, that there are stages in your life that now in hindsight, you can look back and say, oh, you know what? God was active in my life at that moment and I didn't even know it. Right? Wasn't even aware that it was happening. If you had a, an experience like that, that was provenient grace. That was God's provenient grace. So a second way that, that they talk about that is um, it, it, they had a name for that one too, and that was justifying grace. And we experience justifying grace when we, come, when we start to become aware of God's grace that's all along been inviting us and wooing us and trying to get our attention, and it comes to a place where that does happen. And as a result of that, we come to accept God's grace. We surrender our lives to Christ. I, I guess the simplest way to say that, and it's one of the ways I talk about my values of, of ministry as a pastor, is that this is a moment when we say yes. Just say yes to Jesus. Say yes to a relationship with Christ that God has been wooing us into all, all along. And once we've had that experience, we experience God's grace in this third kind of way, which is called sanctifying grace. It is the experience we have of God's grace that happens in the rest of our lives as we grow in relationship to Christ. And we have a task in this experience, and that is that we are working to surrender more and more of our lives over, over to Jesus. When you gave your life to Christ, as people will often say, um, and, and we sing the, I surrender all, right? We really have not surrendered all. Maybe for about 30 seconds, and then we realize what we've done, and we snatch back the stuff we're not quite ready to give to the, to the Lordship of Jesus yet. Because guess what, y'all? It takes the rest of our entire lives to fully surrender to the Lordship of Jesus in our lives. That's why we call it a faith journey. And we are intentional about the way that we do that. And believe me, it takes grace, a lot of grace in this part, part of our lives. So that's a lot to take in, right? It is. Um, the good news is we're going to slow the series way, 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 way down and spend the next three weeks exploring those. So next week will be provenient grace. The week after that will be justifying grace. And then the week after that will be sanctifying grace. Now, I'll get back to the question you asked me. That was not a small detour, was it? Nope. Sorry. That's okay. We have more time in this service than we had in the last service. <laughs> so she wanted me to talk about this image that actually John Wesley started, and it really has become a great image to think about how we experience these three, uh, this one grace of God, but in these three different kinds of ways. And he used the image of a house, of a house. 
And, um, and, and, you know, that sense that we are born with no concept, no idea of who God is, what sin is, what grace is, any of that stuff. It is as if we are aimlessly wandering around in a neighborhood, no idea where we are or where we are going. And then there's a house that captures our attention, especially something on the porch, and it draws us to come in closer, and ultimately, as we're looking, we stumble onto the porch, okay? You got a, you got a house in mind, in, in, your, in your mind's eye? Let's there, go ahead and put it on the screen. Yeah, we got we a, actually a picture, and then you, you'll have, a, yeah. So we uh, stumble onto the porch, and um, the porch, John said, the porch is like prevenient grace, something has drawn us to that place. And while we're there, something begins to dawn on us. And we see the door. And, and, and it leads us to the door. And when we walk through that door, we've said yes. You with me so far? Prevenient grace, something grows to the porch. And then finally, God gets our attention. We say yes to Jesus when we walk through the door. Um, uh, that's like justifying grace. We step by faith into the household of God, all right? And then through that door is a massive house. It's got hallways and doorways and nooks and crannies, and it will take a lifetime to fully explore that house. And he says, that's kind of like sanctifying grace. We're on a lifelong journey of discovery of what it is to be in the house the household of God. On the porch, Jesus opens a door for us. We say yes and walk through that door and then we're on the journey for the rest of our lives. So I think I'm gonna... You gotta, you did it first service. You gotta do it this way. So one. this got, this got um, cut from the message because, you know, well, I'm gonna do it anyway. So I have, there's, a, there's a seminary professor that when he does this presentation in school, Chris is smiling because he knows what's coming. When he does this presentation at, in, in seminary, um, he'll often say, now I know a lot of you in here were probably in college, you were in a fraternity. <laughs> so you see it's already taken a turn, right? And, uh, and he said, just imagine, you know, you imagine just a drunken frat boy laying out in the front yard of a house and needs some direction and needs uh, some sense of being, of being saved in, in their lives. And they recognize there's something on the porch and they go to that porch and from there their, their lives are changed. Now, I was a frat boy, but I would know nothing about that part of it. Of course not. <laughs> now, this is all really heady stuff, right? This is all knowledge kinds of things. And, um, and, and, you know, we're calling this hearts on fire, Kim. We're not calling it heads on, on fire, fire or hair on fire. Um, and for sure, we want to talk about um, strangely, strangely warmed, warmed hearts. So, uh, Well, Wade, is there a good place that we can start or something we should focus on this week? Yeah, I think it's really kind of getting ourselves kind of geared up for the series and having our hearts in a place will really, really benefit us along the way. And so one thing I think that, 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 that I would invite you to work on this week is simply ask this question. If I think about a porch, a door, a house, you know, if I think about how I experience God's grace, just ask the question, where, where am I? Where am I in this journey? What is my place? Every place is legitimate. Every place is just saturated with God's grace. 
Um, but, but I know for me, it helped me to know where I was in a journey when I first, when I first experienced this understanding. So that's one thing I think that we can um, work on each, this week because it's really, really very personal. It's as personal as we are individuals. And, and if we keep those kind of questions up front, um, uh, I think that, that we'll have a, you know, you'll have a really more, uh, a more full experience um, as, we, as we move those. You know, faith is head work for sure. But also heart. But also the heart. And, um, and, you know, I like to say it's head, heart, and what? Hands, you know? We have a knowledge of God. We, we know Christ in our hearts, but then we use our hands to serve um, in, in the world. It's a, I feel like we should be singing head, head shoulders, shoulders, knees, and knees toes. And yeah, toes no. but. Maybe we shouldn't. <laughs> <laughs> and, you know, there are, there are many um, who have inspired us over the years, you know, kind of like this thing with John Wesley. But I'm also want, thinking about an example from our own time where people who have had this heartwarming experience has really impacted their lives. And you talked um, this week uh, that this week we have this uh, experience over at Bethel Church to honor and celebrate and to, you know, reignite our own hearts around Martin Luther King. Did you know he was a person who talks about a significant experience, much like John does? He didn't use the language, language strangely warm, but it was like that, uh, right there in his kitchen, yep. at his dining room table, and here's, here's, what, here's what Martin Luther King says about that. Um, he says that that was, that feeling of that divine presence is what kept him going. That moment, that experience, kept him going. And our, our world has been blessed um, as a result of his, his being, being faithful. Um, Pastor Kim, every once in a while, I think it's appropriate for us to give our own testimony, our own, own witness of things. And um, because I have heard your story, I know that, that you also had a strangely warmed heart moment that really changed your life, I sure have. your life as well. Yeah. And um, would you be willing to share that part of your story with us? Absolutely. Um, what I'll see, say is, you see, I went through much of my life um, being told how much God loves me. Um, I was told how great God's love was, um, but I had a hard time believing that myself. It, I heard it and it was in my head, but it hadn't found its way into my heart. And it wasn't that I had done anything particularly wrong during life. I'm just a bit of a perfectionist. And so something inside of me, there was something that just couldn't accept God's love for me. Um, because I knew that I was not perfect and I was never going to be perfect. And I got to the point where I could speak passionately about God's love. I could share it with other people. I could help them see it. Um, I believed it, I believed with all my heart that God's love was for them. No matter what had gone on in their lives, no matter what they had done, I believed and could tell them, God's love is for you but I didn't include myself in that group. And as I, I have told you, it was as if I was standing on the porch, mm -hmm. inviting everybody else to come in through the door. Just this way, just this way, just but this I'd, way. But yeah. I was like the usher. Yeah. Um, I wasn't ready to walk through mm -hmm. the door myself. I knew that love in my head, I, but my heart just was not there. 
And in a way, I really was like John Wesley. I was doing the work um, and following what scripture told me, but my heart wasn't on fire yet. And then I had these two big moments um, and lots and lots of little ones where my heart started to feel really strangely warmed. Mm -hmm. And I know that sounds funny, but my heart was warmed in yeah. a way. And the first happened in a conversation with my pastor after a, a Bible study. And I went to him and I just said, you know, I am having trouble feeling this. I can't feel God's love for me. And he said something, as we pastors sometimes do, um, he said something that sounded really harsh in those moments. Mm -hmm. But as I look back, it really had helped to open my heart in a way that it hadn't been. He turned to me and he said, what makes you so special that you think you are beyond God's reach, mm. beyond God's love? And ouch, did that hurt <laughs> in that moment? Um, but I started to realize that, that the problem was I needed to get over myself. I had to get over my perfectionist tendencies, and I had to get over what was ultimately my insecurity. And then I had my second moment not long after that, and it happened in seminary of all places. Um, as I told Wade, you would think a pastor, somebody studying to become a pastor, would have all of this figured out by that time, but I didn't. Just like John Just Wesley. Just like John, he was a priest already when, That's his, right. when he had that experience. I, and so again, I, I pulled my professor aside, and some of you uh, may know who she, she was, it, Bishop Judy Craig. Um, and uh, as we've talked, she was not the most warm and fuzzy no, she personality. Was, she was not full cuddly of, whatsoever. <laughs> full of God's love um, and a wonderful human being, mm -hmm. but not the kind that was going to nurture you and be warm and fuzzy. She's the bishop that ordained me. That's great. Yep. Um, and so I told her, you know, Bishop Craig, I just can't feel this love. And I don't know what to do with that. And she turned to me, and in her way, she just said, you are just making this way too hard. Stop it. Just tear down the walls that you have built around your heart. Let yourself be loved. Just let yourself feel that love. And feel it just as you are right now. You don't have to do something, you don't have to change to earn that love. Just tear it down. And there was something in the way that she challenged me that again started to warm my heart. And I've got to say that the more it started to find its way into my heart and not just my head, it began to change my life in so many different ways. It changed the way I serve as a pastor. It changed the way I approach things. It has even changed the way I pray. Often when I would do um, children's messages, I would begin, or I would pray with them the same exact prayer. Thank you, God, for loving me. Thank you for calling me your child. Because I wanted every single person to hear that over and over again and I wanted those kids to grow up knowing yeah. it was for them. 
And what I found is when it found my way into my heart, it was transformative. And it was just so freeing. And it ignited something powerful in my heart. And so our prayer with this series is that this series is going to ignite something in all of us. Um, in your bulletin, well, not in your bulletin, in your hands, um, you get one of you'll these? see a prayer card, hopefully. Um, that is a prayer that has been written for our journey. And so we're going to close our teaching time today by praying this prayer mm -hmm. together. And our hope is that you'll take it home and that you'll pray it in the weeks to come, if not longer, mm -hmm. however long it takes. Yeah, that's right. And so, Pastor Wade, would you lead us in that prayer? Yeah, I, I think I would, like, um, I would like for us to all just pray it out loud together. But one of the things I just want to kind of highlight as we be, get, get ready to do that is that um, when, when we were constructing this prayer for the prayer card, um, we wanted it to reflect this journey that we're on. So you'll hear language in this prayer that talks about how we walk through it, this experience of God's grace in different stages and different kinds of ways we experience it. You should be able to find your place um, in this prayer as well. And, and what we're just going to ask is, put this wherever you put your stuff that, you know, when you're working on reading scripture or doing your morning prayers or um, if you're like me just tape it to the mirror in your bathroom that'll be a great place where you'll see it every day and let's just pray this in our in our whole journey um, together if you're if you're willing willing to do that and uh, so um, Chris what, why don't we just go ahead and we'll go ahead and pray this prayer now and um, and then uh, we have a we have a little chorus at the end here that we're going um, to sing together and then we'll, we'll be done for today so in the spirit of uh, the journey that we're on in our hearts um, together uh, let, us, let us pray, just out loud with me, let's pray. Oh Lord, your love surrounds us long before we are even aware. You call out and invite us into relationship with you. You see beyond the choices we make, both good and bad. You love us with a love that will never let go. You see who we are and who we can be. You greet us at the door of the house of grace and welcome us in. Lord, help me to walk through that door as your beloved child, as one who has a place at your table and also in your heart. Let me take up residence in your house and teach me to grow in your love through your grace each and every day. May your grace light such a fire in me that I want nothing more than to follow you with all my heart, share your love with others, and dwell in your house forever. Amen and amen.